Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. want to say welcome to everybody that's sitting in our cafe right now. There's a large number of people in overflow, so way to go, cafe people. We love you, and we are excited to be here this morning to worship the Lord. Amen? Amen. Our worship's going to continue even way, way, way until tomorrow. Tomorrow evening, eight people are going to be baptized in this sanctuary, and I want to encourage you to come tomorrow night, not just to see it, but to celebrate with them. It is exciting to see what God is doing in the hearts and the lives of people that that honestly are on fire for the Lord. And we pray that more would consider baptism and dedicating their lives to the Lord and following Jesus in 2023. Amen. Would you join us in prayer? Father, we thank you this morning that we have the awesome privilege to open up Jonah chapter 4. And we thank you, Father, that you are a good and gracious God, that you are compassionate and slow to anger, you don't scream and yell and accost people, but you have, you have a compassion for the lost. And so, Father, we thank you that you don't look at people the way other way people look at people. You see their heart. You see that there's a soul there, that they're a human being. They were created in your image, and they have value beyond the nation they represent, beyond the language they speak. They were created. And so, Father, we thank you that you're the God who reaches people that, to be honest, Lord, at times in our hearts we hate. And yet you have a compassion for them. Father, I pray that after we hear your word this morning from Jonah chapter 4, that we would have the same compassion and desire as you to go and reach the lost, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be an ambassador of Christ, to break the chains of merchandise and things and stuff, and to embrace your mission, to take the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. Father, I pray for a revival. I pray and ask, Lord, right now that, Christ, you would do something in our hearts and our minds, that you would free us from the things of this world, that, Lord, we could embrace your calling and your mission and your purpose. Father, a couple that we've been praying for for the past several weeks, Brian and Missy Wagner, who are just doing that in Africa. Lord, we've been lifting them up and we continue to lift them up because they're part of our family and they're our friends and we love them. And we certainly love Missy, Lord, who has been serving more in an administrative role. We pray, Father, that she would this year be able to raise up another administrator that you could allow her to to go back to doing what she loves. And Father, we thank you. And we thank you this morning, Lord, for those that will hear and respond to your word and become the next Brian and Missy Wagners. And so, Lord, we ask for you to do that. We thank you for Pastor Mike, and we thank you for the word he's going to bring this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would speak boldly through him. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul. We're in the book of Jonah, and we are at the very end of our study in the book of Jonah. It's been four weeks in Jonah. You know, I was thinking the other day, I'm going to kind of feel sad to see Jonah go. It's sort of like when Lydia went back to college last weekend. It's, oh my goodness, 
Lydia is gone, and I won't see her until, I don't know, maybe March, and now Jonah is gone, and oh my goodness, I won't have any friends left. But anyway, <laughs> sort of how you feel, because we've spent four rich weeks in the study of this book, and I will invite you, if you have your Bibles with you or your devices open, to Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4. Remind you that last week where we left Jonah, at the end of Jonah 3, is every preacher's dream. He was obedient to God. He preached the word of God. He called the wicked city of Nineveh to repentance and belief in the one true and living God. And you remember it was great awakening. I mean, the entire city turned to the Lord. And, and the king got off of his, his throne and came down and put on sackcloth and sat in the dust and repented of his own sin and sent out a decree that the entire city should also repent of their sin and follow the one true and living God. And then we come to Jonah chapter 4, remembering that Jonah preached the word, witnessed from the front seat what God was doing, and this is how Jonah 4 opens. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place just east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen in the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah and gave shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But, the dawn, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, and I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever had a situation with somewhere where you just wanted to take them by the shoulders and gently shake them and say, what's wrong with you? That ever happened to you? Anybody ever have that experience? Am I the only one? Okay. If Jonah were living and were in front of us today, I would like to take him by the shoulders and just gently shake him and say, what's wrong with you, man? What's wrong with you? And that's a good question to begin today. What's wrong with Jonah? Just when we think that Jonah made the right turn, did the right thing, obeyed God the right way, Jonah makes a left-hand turn and goes off the rails yet again. Well, the answer to the question, what's wrong with Jonah, is actually that Jonah is self-absorbed. Have you noticed that? He is self-absorbed. He is preoccupied with his own emotions and interests and situations in life. Frankly, Jonah doesn't care about anyone 
other than Jonah. And man, that's a sad place to be in life. But Jonah's in that place, and it becomes painfully obvious to us as we open and read Jonah chapter 4. Now, when we were first introduced to Jonah four weeks ago in Jonah chapter 1, you remember the story, God came to Jonah. Now, this is, a, this is an expanded version of what Pastor David gave us. However, what Pastor David shared was what I saw in flannel graph when I was growing up, too. But here it is. This is the story. God came to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach against the sin of Nineveh. Jonah said, I don't want to do that. I disagree with you. Jonah decides he's going to go in the opposite direction. He's going to go to Tarshish. He goes down, books fair on a ship, gets onto the ship. He's going to go in the opposite direction of God. You don't run away from God. God chases after you. What does God do? He hurls a storm in the direction of the ship that Jonah is on. And of course, the, the, the pagan sailors on the ship, they're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? They're digging into the sea, trying to right the ship, do everything. They finally cast lots. The lot falls to Jonah, which means that it identifies that Jonah is the cause of the problem. Jonah says, throw me overboard, everything will be fine. The pagan sailors, to their credit, say, we're not going to throw you overboard. We're going to try our best to right this ship. They can't. So finally, they pick him up, they throw him overboard. What happens? The sea immediately calms down. So Jonah sinks to the bottom of the sea. God provides a great fish, a whale, comes along, swallows up Jonah. Jonah is now in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, and he meets God in a new, and I won't say fresh way, in a new way, man, it couldn't be very fresh in there, and, and he wrestles with God. It's one of the great prayers of Scripture in Jonah chapter 2. And out of it, he reconciles himself to God's will, or so we thought, and at the end, indeed, the fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. Chapter 3 opens, Jonah receives again the call of God. This time he answers it, he goes to Nineveh, he preaches a sermon, it's eight English words, five Hebrew words, you'll never hear a sermon that short from this stage ever, 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 but it was a powerful sermon, and God used it. What did we see last week? We had a front row seat to a great awakening of history. The entire city comes to faith in the one true and living God. They repent of their sin, and the king does so as well. This is a preacher's dream. One sermon, a city is transformed by God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4 again. But Jonah, but Jonah, but Jonah, say that, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He should have been pleased, but he was displeased. He should have been happy, but he was angry. He should have been deeply satisfied, but he was deeply depressed. Do you realize that in 11 verses, three times he says, I wish I were dead. I wish I were dead. I wish I were dead. Now, there is one occasion in Jonah chapter 4 when he's very happy, and that is when he decides to take a sulking retreat outside the city of Nineveh. And he goes up on a hill, most likely, and he builds a shelter for himself, and he sits down and he watches Nineveh, and God does this really cool thing. God causes a vine to grow up over Jonah to provide a little more relief from the scorching heat, and the Bible says that Jonah was very happy. He was very happy. He was like very, very happy. It's when you pull into McDonald's with your kids and they don't know you're going there, and they're all like, oh my goodness, we're very, very happy. That kind of childish happiness, he was very happy. But... The next morning, God sent a worm, and the worm chewed at the vine, and the vine withered, and he sent a scorching east wind, and Jonah was really hot, 
And you know what happens. Jonah gets not very happy, but very upset and very dissatisfied and very angry yet again. I wish I would be dead. Outwardly, Jonah's behavior is irrational. It is childish. It is marked by resentment. It is marked by frustration. He is clearly, going back to the word I introduced you to, self-absorbed. It is all about his emotions, his interests, his situation. Jonah's emotional reactions throughout Jonah chapter 4 raise a question. And it's not just what's wrong with Jonah. The question it raises for me is this. What was Jonah thinking? What in the world was Jonah thinking? What drove him to these kinds of emotional extremes in his relationship with God, Jonah 1 through 4? And the answer to that, I think, is found as we journey into the mind and the heart of Jonah. What was Jonah thinking? To get at that answer today, I'm going to draw from another resource, another outstanding scholar. He is now with the Lord. His name was James Montgomery Boyce. And he had been for many years the senior pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. It is my opinion that his commentary on the book of Jonah is the very best that's ever been written, an outstanding guide to the book of Jonah. And as I studied that commentary, there was, a, there was an outline in there, and I said to Jenny, I could never improve upon that, and I am just going to preach that outline and say to the people, this is from James Montgomery Boyce, and you need to hear what has edified me, the basic outline. Because we all know today that Jonah, a prophet of God, had a problem with God. That is obvious, isn't it? My goodness, you can't read Jonah chapter 4 without realizing that. Jonah, a prophet of God, had a problem with God. Now, we had that problem back in Jonah chapter 1, but we thought it was resolved in Jonah chapter 2 and 3, and yet, man, it comes out in full display in Jonah chapter 4. It reminds me of a very important principle that you'll find recorded by Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, when Jesus says, for whatever is in your heart determines what you will say. I want you to grab a hold of that, and I want you to hold on to that throughout the rest of this sermon. Whatever is in your heart determines what you will say, how you will act in life, and how you will live your life. That's a principle that Jesus taught, and we see it in the life of Jonah. So what was Jonah thinking? First of all, Jonah had a problem with God's will. Jonah had a problem with God's will. From our study of Jonah chapter 3 and 4, Jonah was outwardly obedient to God, no question about it. But inwardly, he was not reconciled to the will of God. He did what God told him to do, but what he did, he did with an attitude toward God. He had a certain set of expectations about how God would respond, and when God did not meet those expectations, he angrily protested. He doesn't agree with God, and he doesn't agree with how God does things. So then, why did Jonah obey God in Jonah chapter 3? Let me suggest to you, he most likely obeyed God in Jonah chapter 3 out of duty and not out of true desire. Out of duty and not out of true desire. The result, anytime you decide to obey God out of duty and not out of desire, not because you love him, you will put yourself in the position for 
harmful, hurtful, and maybe even bitter emotions to come up. Jonah gunny-sacked his frustration. He gunny-sacked his resentment toward God. To gunny-sack means that he pushed it down. He pushed it down, wanting to keep up appearances, make sure that everybody thought that he was doing the right thing for the right reason, but in reality, he wasn't. I want to say something to you, and this is, this is true. I believe it's true in just how we live our lives. If you keep pressing stuff down into your heart, you keep gunny-sacking, there will come a point where you will hit a trigger, and guess what? It will come out. It will come out with your words. It will come out in your actions. It will come out in the way in which you live your life. And that's exactly what happened here. For whatever is in your heart determines what you will say. Let me ask you a question. Why are you obeying God? Is it duty or is it desire? Are you obeying God's word and his will because you have to or because you want to? I wasn't going to ask this question until last night I sensed the Holy. In fact, I didn't write it into the sermon because I was saying, I, I don't want to go that far, Jesus, but apparently Jesus wanted to go that far because last night I was overwhelmed. You asked that question. So here it is. Why are you here? Why are you here? Are you here because of duty? Or are you here because of true desire and deep love for Jesus? It's an interesting question, isn't it? We live in Lancaster County, and we're a religious county, and there's a certain expectation if you travel with certain groups of people that you're going to be in church on Sunday. That's your duty. Maybe you're from a certain generation where you never miss church on Sunday, so you're here because that's your duty. Is it your duty? Or are you here because you deeply love Jesus? Because you desire to be with God's people and you understand how critical it is that at least once a week you recenter and refocus and come back to the very center of your being, Jesus Christ, and allow worship to reset you, refresh you, revive you, renew you. Why are you here? I love the story I read years ago about the mother who repeatedly told her son to sit down in his chair at supper. And one night he was up and down and up and down, and finally she got up and she took him by the shoulders and gently pressed him down into his chair. He flopped back against the back of that chair as she was returning to her seat. He was fuming and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Have you ever been in that position? Willingly, joyfully, surrendering to God's will? Or doing it out of duty? Secondly, Jonah had a problem with God's grace. You know, if anybody should be happy about the grace of God, Jonah should be at the front of the line. I mean, oh my goodness. You go in the opposite direction, do exactly what God tells you not to do. God has to send a storm in your direction. Then he has to send a fish to save you. Then he has to keep you alive in the belly for three days till you get it through your thick head what it is that God wants you to do and reconcile yourself to him. Then he has to cause the fish to spit you up on the dry ground. So finally, Jonah 3, you can have a second chance. You can experience grace. 
Jonah experienced the grace of God in some of the most dramatic ways that you'll find in all of Scripture. You know what grace is? It's the unmerited, undeserved love and favor of God. But Jonah failed to apply that same grace to those around him, to the people in Nineveh. Let me just read for you again those few verses, verses 2 through 5. And this is actually Jonah talking to God. He's praying. Oh, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to go in the opposite direction to flee to Tarshish. I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And I love how the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Did you notice that, that Jonah doesn't say a word? He doesn't even answer the question. You know what he does? The word of God says that he went out and sat at a place east of the city, and he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade. Now listen to this. And he waited to see what would happen to the city. He waited to see what would happen to the city. You realize what's happening here. Jonah assumed a judgmental posture, an unforgiving attitude, a critical spirit. He has just witnessed the great awakening of the city. The people and the king have turned from their sin. They are wearing sackcloth. They are sitting in dust. They are not eating or drinking normally. They are brokenhearted over their sin. They are believing in the one true and living God. God has declared that he will not send calamity on them. And where is Jonah? He's sitting on the hill waiting to see if God will give them what they deserve. Give them what they deserve. Do you have a problem with God's grace? Every time you play judge, every time you fail to forgive someone, every time you hold a bitterness in your heart, you demonstrate that you have a problem with God's grace. 20 plus years ago, I was preaching revival services at First Evangelical Congregational Church in Canton, Ohio. It was a run of eight days of revival services, Sunday to a Sunday. And every night they had a, a meal beforehand, so you got to know the people very well. And I was sitting one night with a woman who told me that one of the deep sadnesses of her life was when her son-in-law left her daughter and when they divorced. And she said, this was so heartbreaking to me. But she said, I have to tell you that a number of years after that, both my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law, or my daughter, separate from each other, came to faith in Christ. And my son-in-law is a changed, my former son-in-law is a changed man, and he was already married, and they never got back together. And, but, you know, he's a Christian now. I thought, wow, that's, that's cool that you have that attitude and that you're able to embrace that. A couple days later, she came up to the altar when I gave an invitation one night. She knelt there, I went down, and I said, how can I pray for you? She said, you know, I told you how my son-in-law came to faith in Christ. I told you about how my daughter forgave him and how everything's fine there. 
He said, but I'm still waiting for God to give him what he deserves. And the word of God over these past several nights have revealed my heart and the bitterness that I'm still holding against him. What right do I have? What right do any of us have? Jonah had a problem with God's grace. Thirdly, Jonah had a problem with God's character. Jonah didn't know God as well as he thought he did. He had the facts right. Go back to verse 2. He was, he was spot on. You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow in anger and abounding love. Problem is, he just didn't like those facts. Notice something in Jonah chapter 4 about Jonah and God. Let's just kind of compare them, okay? Jonah is aggravated by people's sin. God is grieved over it. I have to be honest, that one really convicts me because I can get easily aggravated over people's sin. Don't they know any better? What are they thinking? Weren't they brought up right? My goodness. And all the time I'm criticizing people who don't know Jesus. I'm so thankful for my wife who will once in a while gently nudge me and say, now remember, Mike, the issue is they don't know Jesus because he's the one who changes them so that they do things that please him. Secondly, Jonah favored judgment. I am so grateful today, are you, that God favors salvation. Amen? One of my favorite verses, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Thirdly, Jonah is easily inconvenienced, and God simply is not. Fourthly, Jonah is more concerned about himself than he is about others. And God is more concerned about others, including you and me. How do we know that? How do we know that? Someone asked me that. How do we know that, Mike? Thank you very much. Thank you, Rob. Let me tell you how. The cross. That's how we know that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. Your attitude, your attitude, Mike Sigmund, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, Jonah, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, fill in your name, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jonah was more concerned about Jonah than anybody else. God is more concerned about us 
every one of us. Jonah knew the facts about God, but here's the deal. He didn't like them. He didn't like them. What was Jonah thinking? There was an internal struggle in Jonah with the will of God, the grace of God, and the character of God. There was an internal struggle in Jonah such that he was so self-absorbed he could not embrace God's heart for the loss, for Nineveh. Jonah was all about Jonah, selfish, self-righteous, self-centered. He couldn't see past his own nose. Is it possible for Christians to be like that? It is. It's possible for me to be like that. And for you to be like that. I would never say that, oh, I am beyond that. Because the moment that I say that I'm beyond that, I become like that. Years ago in the Evangelical Congregational Church, when a, when a congregation declined to the point where they were like on the verge of closing their, their church, we offered to them the idea of a restart. And we would go into those churches and we would offer that instead of closing, that they would just shut down for like six months and we'd restart them again. And, and we'd help them to grow and become vital gospel-centered congregations. And the very first church that we ever did that with was back in 1999. And I went into our Bethany C. Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, on 6th Street in Allentown, kind of a red-light district of Allentown, really difficult area in Allentown. It was a beautiful church built in 1895, seated 800 people, had Tiffany stained glass windows, had a Steinway grand piano, and at the very end, they had 25 people left on a Sunday morning, 14 in the choir and 11 in the congregation. They had a really good choir. Just nobody was there to listen. And I said to them, how about we restart you? And they said, Bishop, we are so tired. We are so exhausted. Absolutely. What does that involve? I said, give us your building, give us all your money, and we will restart this church. You know what God did in the meantime? He struck the church with lightning. And the insurance company paid to have the whole facility completely repaired. And I said to the Lord, hey, when we do this in the future, let's put that into the agreement. You strike them with lightning, we'll restart them, and that will save us a lot of money. It never did work again. But anyway, that congregation, which was not at all like the neighborhood, they restarted. And this morning, 180 people are worshiping in that church building, and they are multicultural and they are reaching that neighborhood, and people are coming to faith in Christ. So out of that, I thought, this is great. We're going to offer this to other churches. And so we started offering it to other churches all around the Evangelical Congregational Church. And, and, and so I go in very naively thinking that if you're an evangelical Christian, you're all about bringing people to Christ, and you're about excited about seeing your church grow. And if you're down to 20 people, you can... You, you just want your church to have 80 people again or 100 people again, you know. So we, we start restarting churches. And, and then I start going up to visit these places. And I walk in and I'm expecting people to say, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. Ten people came to Christ. We haven't had children in 30 years. We actually have children. We have two in the nursery. I walked into one church, sat down with the official board. I said, well, how's it going? And they said, dirty diapers. We have dirty diapers 
in the trash cans. Nobody takes them out. I said, what do you mean? Well, dirty, we haven't had dirty diapers in years. Right. That's right. That's the problem. Well, they should take their diapers with them. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I wanted to say, well, when you get to the home, are you going to take your diapers with you? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I walked in another church. They left the copier on overnight. Do you know how much electric is? Well, not that much. And it was like, oh my goodness, you were down to 20 people. You're now averaging 80 people. People have come to Christ. You had no children. You now have 13 children coming. You have babies. And instead of saying, praise the Lord, you're saying, oh, they have dirty diapers in the trash can. God, help us. When our attitudes align with the world and not with Jesus. Amen? God, help us. What is important to note is that Jonah had a problem with God when he should have been like celebrating the grace and the glory of God. But Jonah wasn't the only one who was thinking. There was someone else who was thinking. God was thinking. And what was God thinking? God challenges Jonah in the last few words of this chapter. And those words are wrapped into three questions. Each question is designed to stir Jonah's mind and heart to think about his proud and selfish attitudes and actions. God questions Jonah's position. Look at verse 4. Have you any right to be angry? Let's do a little audience participation. Have you any right to be angry? What was the answer God was looking for? Secondly, verse 9. God questions Jonah's pettiness. Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? Now, I'm going to ask one more. The answer is opposite of that, so just be ready. <laughs> God questions Jonah's perspective. Verse 11, referring to Nineveh, should I not be concerned about that great city? Yes. Jonah lost perspective in his life and ministry. Remember who he is. He's a prophet of God, anointed by God to preach the word of God and see an entire city come to God. But then something shifted in Jonah. You know what it was? He drifted from God. He kept up the appearance. He may have obediently gone to Nineveh at God's command, but inwardly he was in retreat from God. Jonah, you are consumed with yourself. While I am consumed by the needs of others. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Was God nudging Jonah and saying, shouldn't you too? 
shouldn't you too? Now, did Jonah learn his lesson? Did he change his position of anger? Did he get rid of the pettiness of his heart? Did he adopt again the perspective of God? Did he return to an all-out obedience and commitment to the Lord? We don't know. We don't know. I love how people say to me, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look up Moses. I'm going to check out Abraham. I'm going to have a conversation with Dave, David. I'm going, to, I'm going to call on Paul or Peter. I'm going, to, I'm going to look for Jonah. I want to know if there's a Jonah 5. Don't you? I want to know if there's a Jonah 5. I want to know what happened to Jonah. We don't know. We would love to ask him, did you learn your lesson? But I think in the absence of a Jonah 5, God wants us to ask another question. Have we learned our lesson? Have you learned your lesson? You know, it is possible to drift away from God. Not lose your salvation, but lose your perspective. You can keep up appearances. You can worship and serve God out of duty, but not true desire. It is possible to drift away from God and yet outwardly look like you aren't. To grow cold in your faith, and yet others don't feel that cold. I have been attending webinars and reading some of the studies that have come out recently on the impact of the pandemic on the American church. The American church is in significant decline today. And uh, the mainline church, the historic denominations of America are in very significant decline. And much of it is to be attributed, they say, to the effect of the pandemic and the cultural crises surrounding it. And there's this phrase that's being used in some circles that the pandemic was an accelerator that caused what eventually was going to happen in the church to happen more quickly. Now, I remember in 2020 in one of our pastoral team meetings, Pastor Addison actually saying, I think the pandemic is revealing people's hearts and especially Christians' hearts. And I think that in many ways, what we're seeing today in the church across our nation is an acceleration of a decline that was going to happen just because a whole lot of people were doing what they were doing out of duty and not out of true desire. Because when you do things out of duty alone, all it takes is a train wreck a pandemic, a shutdown, a reason, an excuse to throw you over the edge. And sadly, I think we're seeing that in the culture today. Here's the good news. God pursues you anyway. Amen? He doesn't give up. He throws a storm, he sends a whale. His all-consuming love embraces you, and he calls you back. 
But all of that leads me to one question with which I close today. What's in your heart? Every time I ask that, I think of the commercial, what's in your wallet? <laughs> I don't care what's in your wallet. The question today is, what's in your heart? Is it a heart of true desire and deep love? Or is it just duty? Because here's the deal. Duty won't cut it. It will set you up to drift. You need a deep, true, fully committed, loving relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah and amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, I would simply ask you today to search our hearts. Search our hearts. Find in our hearts the motives for why we're here, what we do, why we obey your word and your will. My prayer is that for every person here in this building and every person online with us and every person in these services this weekend that we will be inspired by the book of Jonah and reminded by the life of the prophet to have a heart that is fully devoted to you. Not out of duty, but out of deep and true love. Search our hearts, Lord. And where we have switched gears into duty, bring us back to yourself. To a deep, abiding commitment to you, Jesus. And this we pray. I invite you to respond to God's word today as you sing the words of this hymn. Sing them with confidence from the depth of your heart. Would you stand with me right now? Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.